0: Hey everybody, John here. I just want to remind you that you can always reach me at covertcontact at protonmail.com. I get email from all over the world. I love hearing from you. Tell me what you like about the show. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what you'd like to see covered. If you have some guests that you'd like to see on the show, let me know their names. And if you'd like to be on the show yourself, reach out. Let me know. Hi, Steve. How you been?
1: Okay. Have a cup of coffee? Great. Social visit? Tea for two? Not exactly. This is a well-planned meeting between two acquainted agents, courier and cutout. The place? A censored town in
0: enemy area. The purpose? A special operation. I see where the football team has a new goalie. i ought to make all the difference next Saturday. Yeah, well, I'll still put my... The meeting is casual. The conversation is innocent. For the walls of enemy area have ears.
1: Welcome to Covert Contact from Blogs of War, where each week, your host, John Little, takes a deep dive into the national security, intelligence, and technology stories that are shaping our world.
0: All right, welcome to Covert Contact, episode 109. I am your host, John Little. It's Thursday evening. And that means it's time for the regular counterintelligence chat with William Tucker. William, welcome back to Covert Contact.
1: Oh, thanks for having me again.
0: It's been a busy week. Um, we're, You know, like we keep saying, we're not going to run out of things to talk about, are we?
1: No, not as long as there's nations in the world with uh, intelligence agencies, I think we'll be fine.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it's like even it's much busier than usual, I think, like, I can remember periods where you could sometimes go like months between, you know, high profile cases dropping. And now they're, they're dropping like, like crazy and they're not even really high profile because there's so many other things happening.
1: Yeah. You know, that's true. There's uh, there's been certain spikes throughout, uh, throughout history and some of that has to do with, you know, heightened uh, political tensions, yep. even if like right now with the United States, and that's, and that's certainly domestic, um, but uh, yeah, we do see that elsewhere. I know the the Russians have been uh, they've been quite aggressive. The the Chinese have been um, um, playing vacuum cleaner, grabbing anything and everything. And we often forget about some of the smaller players that are still very active. Um, so yeah, it's it's we're not going to run out of topics anytime soon. Uh,
0: speaking of aggressive uh, Russians. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, Navalny, um, apparent uh, poisoning. I don't know if you got a chance to see some of the, the images and videos that, that dropped around that. I mean, there's one particularly horrific one that, uh, you know, claims to, uh, feature his screams from, uh, from the bathroom of, uh, uh of the airplane that he was on. It was pretty horrifying.
1: Yeah, I did catch that. Um, it's kind of interesting because we still don't know what the, what the cause of it was. If this was something chemical, biological, or even radiological, you know, as Russians have used that before. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, we'll see, I, I'm actually hoping that uh, they follow through with this um, this discussed move of moving him to Germany for medical care because then we'll we'll get a better idea. Uh, things are more likely to leak and. Um, You're not going to have the State Security Service cover up what's uh, what's going on. So uh, we certainly certainly look forward to that. And I think, anyways, he'd have a better chance of survival. But um, I I think this is this is a good time to point out that the Russians have been very active, you know, in uh, in classic intelligence work uh, of eliminating any any critic of the Kremlin. You know, they're they're not just spreading memes on Facebook. uh, Nope and these guys are these guys are incredibly aggressive and one of the things I do want to point out is that you know Russia can kill any of these guys um, pretty much whenever they want um, and and Navalny has been i would say near the near the top of the list but it was I think they were enjoying uh, harassing the guy more than anything so they could they could have done this at any time so the question becomes uh, why now and when you take a look at these really high profile critics that uh, that get taken out by the Kremlin, there's usually a timing thing. Um, so they're not just sending a message say, hey, don't criticize us. They're sending a message um, you know, about, about other issues. And this one just happens to coincide with uh, Russian interest in Belarus yep. and the Western world raising a lot of issues. Uh, Russia was quite uh, blunt at the UN Security Council and saying that this is an internal um, issue to Belarus and we shouldn't be brought up here. So yeah, that's, and this is, and that this happens at this point. Um, uh, I think there's, I think there's some sort of connection, maybe tenuous, but certainly, certainly timing is interesting.
0: You can see why they would want to, uh, you know, hobble, if not eliminate him at a moment like, like this. Um, and not only, not only not only that, but the message it sends to everyone else at a time of potential instability and definitely the, you know, the interests they have in Belarus, that it's a, it's a clear message.
1: Yeah, and I, I know there's, um, we just saw Russian economic numbers that were uh, quite ugly, just like everywhere else. Russia does have some protests going on in um, one of their uh, cities further afield after the arrest of a popular mayor there. But, you know, those are not the issues that are going to prompt action. Um, and I want to be quite quite blunt about this, is that anytime you mess with Russia on their periphery, specifically in Ukraine or Belarus, you better expect a reaction. And uh, this is, I think this is just a preemptive show that uh, you guys make a move, we'll make a counter move in a place that, where that, uh, that's sensitive and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, and the West has the West hasn't been very inclined to deal with this uh, Russian activity anyway uh, beyond sanctions. But we need to get a little bit more aggressive in some of these counterintelligence and undercovering their operations. Um, and I would point out the recent maybe two months ago uh, in Czechoslovakia, or excuse me, the Czech Republic. Um, old habits die hard. Before. Yeah, so there in the Czech Republic, um, yeah, there was a. Russian operative that was uh, um, accused of bringing in another nerve agent into the country to take out two mayors that were criticizing Moscow. So, yeah, it's uh, it's something to watch, and they they got the inside lead on that somehow. But um, that's the kind of that's the kind of things you have to do to disrupt these operations.
0: I mean, look as as soon as they went into the UK and did this in such a high profile and sloppy manner, like um, you know, it's clear they they are not worried about reaction to this at all. I mean, they they can mostly act with impunity, or at least they feel that way, and uh, more or less uh, evidence, they have evidence that supports that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's an accurate assessment. Um, the assassination in Germany not that long ago, that uh, um, well, defected Chechen rebel, I don't yeah. know where this guy kind of fell in the film line, but uh, he was shot in the back of the head, and in broad daylight in a park, you know, and he was apprehended, but, uh, uh they got their man. Yep.
0: Yeah, uh, so. and hopefully, uh, hopefully they don't get their, their man in this case. Uh, uh, I've been in a war room all day, so I don't know the latest, but I know that he's, he's still getting treatment and like you said, and, uh, uh, for him to have any hope of recovery, like they need to get him out of the country.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, so hopefully they do because I would really be curious to see what uh, what was used. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, biological, certain biological things. There's a lot of natural things that can that can be used, and um, it's hard to put anybody's fingerprints on it. But when it comes to certain chemicals or radiological um, elements, yeah, it's it's hard to. It's hard to disavow some of that stuff. It's like what we saw with, uh, well, basically the poisonings in Great Britain. Um, and there's one in Bulgaria too. A Bulgarian uh, uh, contractor, government contractor, was uh, targeted twice, I think. But uh, yeah, and it took a, and they they slipped up in that one because uh, they were actually able to root out these guys. They were they'd set up shop in France, and that's where they were running a lot of their operations out. Just a small town in France. Um, so yeah, sometimes, sometimes the best you can hope for is to disrupt something. Um, sometimes it's better just to, just to neutralize these guys and whatnot. Kind of reminds me of the old Moscow rules and Navalny don't harass the opposition, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Stay away from tea and, uh, make sure you live on a ground floor somewhere if you're you're going to tingle with those guys, uh, way too many folks fall out of, <laughs> falling out of windows and balconies.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, wild well tied to chairs, mind you.
0: <laughs> it happens, you know, um, uh, another news, a case, uh, that is right down. Um, uh, it's just perfectly in line with everything that we've been talking about recently. And really for a long time, the Alexander Ma case, um, we have another espionage case. This one is sort of, a classic case and it, it involves a lot of the elements that you and I have talked about here. You've written about Hawaii being a massive, you know, hub for foreign intelligence services. And, um, there's obvious uh, reasons that it's attractive to them. Um, and we have elements of that here. We, we really have sort of all the classic Chinese espionage elements that you and I talk about.
1: Yeah, this is a, this is certainly an interesting case. Um, so this is the Alexander Ma case. This is, uh, when did this hit this weekend? Was that this weekend or Monday? But, uh, anyway, there's a, uh, yeah, just an affidavit requesting arrest of this individual. Um, and you can, you can pull that up on the, uh, justice department website. It's, uh, it's Good kind day. of an interesting read. Yeah, it is, but it, it just shows you how long this case had been, uh, one had been building and, how long uh, Ma was involved in uh, working for the Chinese MSS? But I will say I did the um, that very I think it was the first or second page of that affidavit. You have the uh, FBI special agent introducing himself, and he mentions in there that he has a, a DoD counterintelligence award. And I was like, Hey, I have one of those. I like this guy already. So <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see how this this case really develops after they uh, uh When they get around to a formal indictment, because there's there's some holes in there that I would be very curious to see, uh, to see how they're filled.
0: Yeah. And this uh, this one involved um, participation of a relative, um, which I think they elected not to, to charge or involve just given like advanced age and apparently dementia or some other kind of cognitive decline.
1: Yeah, they did um, – in the app, they, they did reserve uh, – they said they didn't want to arrest him at this time. Um, and I think they're just uh, just keeping it open right now. But, yeah, I, I suspect that uh, they won't do anything with him. But, yeah, that one's kind of interesting as well because they both these individuals worked uh, CIA back in the 70s and 80s. Um, by the time that Ma, the, the individual in question, left, it was 1989,
0: and he actually went first, back to China, uh, or went to China.
1: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was living in uh, Shanghai, I think, had uh, some sort of business there. But he um, he actually didn't have any meetings with MSS, at least according to this court document, until um, 2001, and it's kind of an interesting. Uh, the time frame because I think it said right around March 2001 is when he met with uh, MSS in Hong Kong, and two months later there was a uh, there was a really interesting defection of a uh, Chinese general. He defected to the United States and um, and yeah, this guy he gave up a lot of information. It was interesting because. The, uh, the defection was so high level that it was, I, I think, George Tennant and Con, uh, Condoleezza Rice at the time actually were involved in his debriefing. Um, the reason why I bring that up is because that's, it, you, you don't know exactly what this guy gave up if he had any sort of names, contacts, uh, any sort of list of handlers, anything like that. But uh, it was because so much was overshadowed by the time uh, September 11th rolled around. That a lot of these uh, uh, these Chinese espionage cases in that period were kind of uh, overshadowed. So mm-hmm. it's uh, that's why I'm kind of looking forward to this uh, this indictment, just to kind of fill in those gaps because it it, it does suggest that uh, that something else was brewing there, that they had some sort of line on this guy, even though the FBI ended up hiring him later. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm very curious.
0: Yeah, they had quite a bit of detail in the, uh, uh, in the filing that, uh, seemed to indicate that they had eyes on him for quite some time, like pretty thorough documentation of, of his actions and skiffs and things like that. Um, and this, you know, this is like a classic ideological case, right? He said, apparently told them directly, like he was, he was motivated because he wanted to see the motherland succeed.
1: Yeah. Um if that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see how that one plays out too, because I'd be like to know a little bit more about him, him, uh, personally, because, um, with, with ideological cases, they're usually a fantastic cover for something else. Um, in, in other words, it's sometimes people can only express certain emotions in a political way because that's just what they're used to. That's how they've been raised. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, and plus he, he certainly said that after he got paid. So, uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, even on the, uh, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I that is true, right? Like you always have to balance that and you can't, uh, sometimes the last person you should trust, uh, is uh, the person who committed the crime when it comes to motivation. Um,
1: yeah, and but the, they were going to pay him know. either
0: way. Right. I mean, so like he, there's yeah, no way they're happened. not going to pay him.
1: Yeah, that that, that happens, um, whether it's a defector in fact, defector in place. You know, these guys are going to get paid. They're going to get compensated because um, – so let's say you have a defector in place. So this is a guy that decides to, say, spy for another country, but he wants to remain in his home country working where he's at. Um, so these defectors in place, they might might at some point screw up, uh, feel like they're close to getting caught, so they want to get out of the country quick. Cold yeah things like that um families uh families in danger so they, there's any number of reasons why uh, why they do pay these guys for for things like that but but yeah it's um one of the things i did see in one of the media reports on this is that he had a public defender and for a guy that was paid thousands of dollars here and there that's kind of curious that he can't afford a lawyer so i'm wondering if there's something else there but yeah um you yeah, know, I'll, I'll point out, I remember this old, old article, It uh, was one of the intelligence studies. It was declassified, I want to say 1989, but it's still pretty relevant. It's called the psychology of treason. And, uh, the CIA, uh, psychiatrist in that, he, uh, he has a line that I use quite frequently in all my training and that's, uh, no one ever defected because they were happy. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I'd like to know a little bit more about this guy. I think there's something. There's a lot more to learn about this case.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, like you said, it's kind of interesting the way that it's been framed, and there's a lot more room for for movement here. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, there's there's what a 12 year gap before the first recorded MSS meeting. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of classified that's going to um, not be relevant anymore, but there's also going to be certain operational activities that would still be in use, um, that would threaten any sort of asset in China. Um, so this is, yeah, this is certainly a significant case. It is very, it is very traditional espionage. Um, everything this guy was doing, every, you know, sneaking in, uh, secure, um, places after hours, usually either probably before or after, because they, uh, the FBI asserts that he was taking photos in, uh, of classified documents um so yeah it, and then you know get taking it back to uh, china or passing it off to cut out somewhere but yeah it's uh very very traditional
0: yeah and he was doing you know really harmful stuff right like he was he was definitely naming names there's some interesting uh, bits of tradecraft in the filing as well that talks about how how he receives signals on on uh you know who to identify and turn name, you know, turn the names over for. And, uh, his handler, like sharing, uh, what is a photo of five puppies because they wanted details on five people or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, also they have pre-range code and whatnot. And, uh, yeah. And I, I think when I look at that and I mentioned this before we were recording is that there's a pretty, um, Pretty detailed in there of when this individual was taking photos. And it was like over the course of what, uh, four or five years. And they had uh, dates of when he took these uh, photos of these classified documents. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking either they had this guy dead to rights on something or he screwed up and had some sort of encoded notebook where he was keeping track of what he was doing. Um, it's not. It's not unusual. i actually come across that quite a bit in cases where these guys, uh, um, these guys with actual training, uh, would do things like that, even though they, they should have known better. But he, <laughs> he, uh he, um, but yeah, that's that's speculation on my part. But just because of how detailed it was that uh, that that list in the affidavit. So uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of holes there, and I'm I'm very curious to see uh, to see those filled.
0: And it's just another reminder that uh, we're probably going to see, uh, given the focus on on Chinese espionage and uh, the pace at which these things are flowing, uh, we're probably going to see Hawaii in the news some
1: more. Yeah, Hawaii really is ground zero for the Pacific um, as far as collection. It's, it's an easier target than, say, Guam. Um, Guam, you'd, you'd think, would be a priority target in some ways it is but uh it's also a difficult target because it's just not as large as say hawaii there's
0: nowhere nowhere to hide in guam
1: yeah yeah Yeah. i i mean you show up we we know who you are (laughs) um pretty quick so (laughs) uh but it's, uh, but yeah, Hawaii, there's, there's just an awful lot there uh, military wise uh, post World War II, the U S really learned a lesson in uh, um, the utility of Hawaii. I mean, of course we knew that before the, before World War II, but uh, um, the resources that were thrown at the island for, from a military standpoint were quite significant. And uh, you go from you know, a threat from Japan, threat from the Soviet Union, threat from Russia, now threat from China. Um, yeah, that's not going to change anytime soon.
0: Now, the other thing you have in Hawaii is it's a it's a prominent tourist destination for mainland Chinese, which um, that vo- that volume gives you. Um, you know, it's a lot of noise. It gives you some cover there.
1: Yeah, and because it's a remote island chain, you're going to have a lot of diplomatic representation there. Um, because it's not like you can, you know, hop on a plane real quick to run to a consulate in, say, San Francisco to get something taken care of. Um, so you're going to have, um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for cover, uh, for, you know, formal cover, official cover, or uh, non-official cover for individuals coming in and acting as tourists, that, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it'll, it'll remain a priority target.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's see what next week brings. Uh, give it a couple days, yeah. and uh, I'm sure we'll have another case to work on for next week.
1: Yeah, it's a good time to remind everybody, every 10 hours, the FBI claims are opening another uh, Chinese espionage case. And that's only half their caseload. So, yeah, I, I think we'll have something.
0: Well, uh, and who knows how much of it's going to drop Like in this time period, too. It seems like we've hit like a sort of critical mass, and these things are... They got keyed up quite some time ago or starting to drop now. So I think the pace is probably going to accelerate. So uh, that's why we'll be back here every Thursday.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, indeed.
0: All right. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next week.
1: All righty. We'll see you. You have been listening to Covert Contact from Blogs of War. This podcast is produced, written, and hosted by John Little. Follow John on Twitter at Blogs of War and join the conversation with hashtag CCBOW. Thanks for listening.